0: Blue Flame's vision is to obviously focused on a longer term vision of providing streamlined debt financing in the DR market.
1: Hello and welcome to the Solar Maverick podcast, where solar meets entrepreneurship and experience. I'm your host, Benoit Thanjan. So let's get into it. Welcome to the Solar Maverick podcast. I'm excited to have my guest today, Kumar Ayer. He's the CEO and founder of Blue Flame Energy Finance. Blue Flame Energy Finance was founded in 2014 to address the needs and gaps in the commercial energy project market, distributed energy, and it's interesting. They've taken on a lot of different things related to financing. It's a seasoned team with 90 years of finance and execution experience. And I'm excited to interview Kumar today. We've known each other for a while through Abanash, and it's interesting to see the progression of Blue Flame. And also, Kumar, you really bring a unique experience in the industry, you've worked on so many different types of projects, you've worked on the development side, you've owned projects, you know, I remember, obviously, you've developed and owned projects in New Jersey and Tennessee. I know you've also done things internationally, you've developed one of the biggest ground mounted projects in Japan. So I'm really happy and excited that we're able to have the time today. For the interview, Kumar, can you talk a little bit about your background, what got you interested in distributed resources? I know you're not solely focused on solar. And then kind of like the progression of Blue Flame, I know you've worked in a lot of Wall Street sort of firms. You were in engineering. And-
0: Thanks, Benoy. Uh, pleasure speaking today with you and chatting with you. My interest in distributed energy and solar in particular goes back almost 10 years to the date. So I grew up through the mortgage business in Wall Street, was in structured finance, was an asset-backed strategist, and then I worked in the buy side in mortgage strategies. And then uh, I was at a credit asset manager in New Jersey where we were doing a principal finance business. And As you know, 2009 was sort of the peak of the <laughs> yes. New Jersey distributed business with high values of assets we saw a lot of developers trafficking through our shop for dev finance and other sort of takeout structures so we explored at that point a cni rooftop business and we found the economics to be very compelling in the northeast markets fortunately for us as sx collapsed we were just ramping our fund efforts and then we sort of decided not to do it as the economics didn't bear the time and the energy to do that but That got me started in doing renewables. And along the way, I actually went back to school part-time, got a master's in renewable energy systems. The focus there was if you put money to work, (laughs) you also want to know the asset class. Did that. And then in 2011, I moved on full-time to renewables. That's when I started my consulting slash investing career in renewables through my own family office type structure called CleanFin. I did a lot of strategic consulting for a lot of large developers in the utility space. Along with that, I also sort of invested uh, my own capital with other partners in small distributed portfolios uh, as you mentioned in New Jersey and Tennessee and sort of learned a lot about the development game sort of uh, spanning the whole gamut. And as I went through that experience, it was sort of very interesting because you were in the forefront of how solar technology was improving mm-hmm. and financing, but I always found that financing of distributed assets was always challenging. Along the way, I also have great interest in co-generation and CHP, yes, uh, especially in northeastern markets where there's uh, heat loads in buildings and stuff. There's unique challenges in that business to finance DER assets. This sort of was the seed for me to think about Blue Flame. So I had done a a large engagement in Japan where I structured financing for Japan's largest ground-mount project in Okayama, That is a 245 megawatt. Oh, wow. We successfully closed financing for that in August of 2014. Post that, I came back to the U.S. and I relocated to San Diego and was starting to think about more entrepreneurial stuff. And uh, that is the genesis of Blue Flame that the idea had been in my mind for a while as to, how do you solve this issue of Efficient financing for disputed energy. Definitely. So that's the genesis. So I'm happy to talk more about that as we chat more on uh, sure. this podcast.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think it's amazing with your experience in a lot of different capacities financially. Like I've always been impressed with your expertise on financing and structuring transactions. And it's interesting because you see a lot of people who've had experience in real estate and obviously mortgage and collateralization. It's a lot of sort of similar sort of skill sets when you're structuring solar. This is just an interesting comment to me. Like you came from a very financially focused background and then you got involved in development. What did you learn with developing uh, distributed energy projects, specifically in the U.S.? New Jersey and Tennessee. And it was interesting too. Kumar was talking about the New Jersey SREC market had very high SRECs. I think it was at around 500 to $600 yeah. per megawatt hour per SREC. And then it basically crashed because there was an oversupply of projects. And basically, the state creates fixed demand. I think also one of the reasons why that happened too was there was the 1603 grant. Yeah. So it was a lot easier to kind of structure. It was a basically a 30% cash grant instead of now, which is a basically a 30% investment tax credit. So can you talk about maybe what you learned from your experiences from developing projects?
0: Yeah, so one of the uh, big things that came out of sort of my development experience was uh, standardization of contracts. How do you procure and scale DER businesses So the portfolio that I worked in, Tennessee, was interesting because it was 32 projects that were distributed across a fairly large uh, region in the Smoky Mountains, in Tennessee. And, you know, when I did the closing, I had to close (laughs) 32, almost 50 kilowatt systems. Wow. So it is the same effort uh, (laughs) that went into each mini closing as I would have done a 5 megawatt ground mount. So that got me thinking as to how you can streamline this and how can you take a portfolio approach to financing this. The other challenge in developing DER was always the credit aspect of your off taker. Yes. So that's what really made me think how can I apply some of the things that I'd learned in my career in structured finance into the solar finance space, especially in solving this very hard problem. And that is the genesis of building our Blue Flame and our fintech platform called Hyperqual.
1: That's interesting that from your experiences, you noticed a need in the market, which is a huge need, especially for smaller projects and structuring it and then sort of non or challenging credit situations. Can you talk about what Blue Flame does and talk about as well the platform that you created Hyperqual, which I've obviously demoed the platform before, and it's really impressive. And you could actually set up a demo if you go onto the Blue Flame or Hyperqual website. So uh, Yeah,
0: no, absolutely. Uh, delighted to talk about that. So Blue Flame's vision is to obviously focused on a longer term vision of providing streamlined uh, debt financing in the DER market. And the vision here is quite simple, right? If you look at global markets, most of the countries outside the U.S. operate paradigm where there's just cash investments into either utility scale, commercial or residential assets in the yes. solar space. So the capital stack in the U.S. eventually as the ITC steps down, tax incentives don't stay longer term. It's going to be more how the solar residential solar market is looking like today you know, as you morph into a more sort of loan driven market less with leases and PPAs. So there's going to be a hybrid mix, obviously, but at least the vision that we have taken at Blue Flame is that there is going to be a large segment of the market that needs, like, state debt financing. There might be other equity investment components in that capital stack to make this DER financing and commercial just make whole to assemble these projects. So that is the primary focus of our Hyperqual platform. Essentially, it has multiple components. There's a front-end component that helps actually with solar underwriting. It actually then taps extensively into a number of ecosystem partners, companies like Utility API and others mm-hmm. who actually provide electronic utility bill delivery into other tech platforms. And then using some cloud-based panel layout analytics and stuff that yes. uh, we had PV Complete. Another ecosystem partner of ours developed for us. Uh, Using those kind of partner channel plugins, we are able to evaluate the economics of solar and sort of baseline solar underwriting. The next step is these deals get onboarded into the platform, and then we start looking actually at the financing structures on it. So we have actually some coding tools that help the front end installer base that we work with to get quick quotes on projects definitely. on different types of capital stack. Hyperqual platforms facilitates that, and then sort of blending this solar underwriting. Then it goes into our back-end credit underwriting platform, which is very sophisticated. That's, again, uh, leveraged off of uh, my long experience in the mortgage space. Our technology partner there was a company called Street Solutions, which is a very, very successful mortgage SaaS business uh, run out of Jersey City. Sure, uh, Sandeep Amrithi, who's also a, a partner in Blue Flame, is the managing principle of that business. And uh, Blue Flame has a perpetual license to that unique platform. We have repurposed it solely for energy loans. The first product that we worked on was actually commercial pace, which we thought would actually be a very interesting yes. financing product to solve the credit issues that off-takers have in the commercial CNI space. Happy to talk about that more. So that's sort of the high-level flavor of what Hyperqual does.
1: Sure. That's really helpful. So it's basically developers and installers put their project details into Hyperqual. What's usually like the turnaround time that they're able to find out. It sounds like you have a lot of different financing products as well, like an operating lease, capital lease, debt, PPA. Can you go into more about the workflow yeah.
0: aspects or you want to know discuss more of the products?
1: Discuss more of the products that you're sure. offering. So on the uh, we
0: started out with CPACE and then initially CPACE is a very interesting instrument to use for commercial properties where the owner is interested in bringing clean energy and other building retrofits. What we've found though, interestingly, is practice is very different from, <laughs> from <laughs> theory. As you go into these projects, the biggest challenge that industry, especially in the small ticket, you know, 500,000 to like 1 million type has faced is the whole issue of lender consent. Existing commercial properties have senior mortgages in them and the mortgage lender is not incentivized to allow a lien, especially a tax lien that's senior to them, to be put in the property as a special assessment.
1: Definitely.
0: So there's no economic alignment there. So that I think is the primary friction why that the use case of C-PACE is going to be more restricted. We still love the sector, but again, I think uh, where you can deploy it is going to be very specific. So that's why we have innovated other products that are actually very interesting. So today we work with a lot of other capital partners in the back end and have brought to market recently a couple of different lenses to solve the credit issue. One is we are focused on doing USDA-guaranteed type of leases. So we do capital leases and operating leases and also PPAs backed by USDA-guaranteed debt to customers who want to avail of uh, the eligibility into those programs.
1: So that's
0: one angle. The other is there have been some innovations in the credit insurance market where for non-investment-grade credit, Developers and finance companies like us can buy long-term credit insurance Mm -hmm. on the back end. So we have actually credit insurance-backed lease-type products and PPAs also that we are offering to the non-investment-grade community. So I think over the next 6 to 12 months, this is an absolutely new sort of lens that we are bringing to the market that we think will serve this uh, sort of underserved segment, the non-MUSH, (laughs) <laughs> CNI. So if you draw the Venn diagram from the school days, uh, it's an interesting segment. We feel that there's you know, these customers, there are many, many creditworthy customers who are severely underbanked. And then we are actually bringing something to drive sort of adoption of renewables into the sector. I'm very passionate about sort of climate change and renewables at a high level. So what we're doing through this is also a passion of
1: what to sort of do this whole financing business. I think it's huge. Obviously, there's a lot of with non-credit or non-investment grade CNI customers, and obviously smaller projects. I think there's a huge need in the market that's underserved right now when it comes to financing. So that's an amazing product that you guys are offering. One of the things too you mentioned about C pace, I think it would be helpful if you could just give high level what pace is for people. I know you talked a little bit about. The financing related, but if people didn't know, also it's based on different jurisdictions as well, which makes it a little more challenging. Can you talk about PACE yeah, in sure. general? Sure, sure, happy
0: to. Uh, PACE stands for Property Assist Clean Energy. CPACE commercial property as clean energy. So it's a paradigm where uh, property owners in now 20 states can actually put special tax assessments on the property or agree to special tax assessments, which allows very long duration financing up to 20 to 25 years. So these are assessments on the property that allow financing of eligible measures like solar PV, insulation, and other types of improvements that actually improve the energy efficiency of your building. Yeah at a very high level. And because it's a tax assessment, it's considered very high credit quality. And a lot of non-investment grade customers are now eligible, suddenly eligible to get money that's very competitive and makes their deals pencil economically for them.
1: Definitely. I think it's a huge opportunity. It sounds like you're basically offering a Pace-like product or creating uh, yeah, so uh,
0: yeah, the, the part of using some of these other guarantees on the back end, the idea is, again, seeing the frictions in the C-PACE market. We are pivoting to seeing what are the PACE-like instruments or credit enhancements can be brought into the market to serve this non-investment grade market for energy Finance, yeah, and that's and huge. it's uh, it's pretty broad, you know. It's not restricted to just solar PV. We see opportunities in. We're working with a lot of greenhouses that grow sure. like organic lettuce and things like that. That are also big energy consumers, and they need sort of innovative financing, and that's a severely underbanked market. So our agricultural focused financing products actually play very well into that segment. So what we're trying to do is to try uh, to offer our customers a whole suite of products that fits. And then see which one fits them best rather than trying to do one cookie cutter product that can try to apply to like a number of projects. And in many cases, especially uh, given how bespoke these projects tend to be, uh, you want to have a larger toolkit.
1: Definitely. And I think that's really innovative because right now PACE is limited to certain states. Certain jurisdictions, I know being in New Jersey, they had some sort of PACE regulations that didn't end up getting passed, but then you would have to actually go from a n- municipal level, which was then basically hard to scale, which it sounds like here you're basically creating a PACE-like product to serve a non-investment grade opportunity with some sort of other credit enhancements, which is pretty innovative. So Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The first interview that we actually had on the Solar Maverick podcast was with Abhinash Tawari, who's actually the CIO of Blue Flame. That was back in September, actually, here in your office in Carlsbad. We're here now in a beautiful, actually sunny March day here in Carlsbad to see kind of the development of the podcast. And we appreciate Abhinash being on the podcast because at that point, we really didn't have it kind of released. And it's been amazing because his podcast actually has been One of the most popular podcasts that we have, it's actually episode three, where he talks about Blue Flame, Hyperqual. So if you want to also learn more about Abinash and obviously Blue Flame, please listen to episode three of the podcast. It's kind of crazy now. We've released 20 episodes already, and that was back in September after SPI. Can you talk about how did you guys meet? Abinash basically came from like an investment banking background. Then he worked at Constellation, where he was involved in over a billion dollars worth of transactions. Transactions When you have a startup and a team, like what made you want to have him a part of it? And how did that you know, yeah, no, happen? Yeah, I think
0: uh, Abhinash and I think very much alike about how uh, DER assets need to be financed. And I think he brings a really complementary and very unique perspective to the team. See, I come from a more structured, financed sort of background. So I met Abhinash actually in 2011 at SPI. Oh, wow. uh, we were having lunch. We were both vegetarians, <laughs> So we were hanging out <laughs> eating French fries and probably <laughs> veggie burgers. Said hello to him. That's how I got to meet him. Oh, that's I funny. know him for a long time. It's funny, but well, at that time, since I was doing some of these strategic consulting and utility scale solar, I was actually looking for buyers of. Smaller utility projects uh, that I was helping some developers with. Sure. So that's how I got to know Abinash, and I did some work in North Carolina on some North Carolina transactions, and I we soon became friends uh, outside of some of that deal flow that we were discussed and worked on. And as we sort of put our heads together, we, we used to meet regularly and chat. The common theme was always like, oh. Uh, how do you, because my world was uh, gravitating towards smaller and smaller projects. Yes. And as I took these two guys like Constellation and others, the answer was the same. Oh, it's too small for us, too small <laughs> for us. And so I was trying to ask Avinash, like, okay, what are the frictions that are causing? And some of those themes were pretty standard, the same things that I just mentioned. You know, so he mentioned the issues of standardization, having form contracts. Sure, definitely. Systematic. More technology-driven evaluation of projects, streamlining the closing process, ways to sort of mitigate the credit side of things so that, you know, more off-takers that are non-investment grade could become eligible. So those themes sort of lingered on. And when I sort of uh, started Blue Flame, we still continued that dialogue since I was sort of doing the technology piece first. That is less interesting, Tabinash. He liked the platform concept, but he wanted the business to mature a little bit further into the sort of the finance side and then how that whole uh, infrastructure would come about. And as that started to sort of crystallize, he was also, I guess, uh, ready in his career to explore some of these more interesting ideas that Blue Flame was trying to do. And he joined us in early 2016 and has been sort of the major force uh, behind Blue Flame's uh, expansion, growth and and also in terms of uh, idea generation as to how this company is evolving. He's literally leading our efforts in the origination side, product innovation side, etc., to complement what I do on the other side of Blue Flame.
1: Definitely, that's interesting because you guys have complementary skills and similar sort of views on things, so that's a great. And obviously, he's pretty well-connected. Within, as far as the origination space within distributed energy. Yeah, that's what everybody jokes. Yeah, <laughs> everybody knows you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure you felt that way. Yep, exactly. At, at, at Omni Lacosta earlier yep. this week with the solar power investment contract. You actually answered this question that we were going to talk about, but you're still actively are working on CleanFin as well. That was kind of your first sort of entrepreneurial experience. Are you more focused really on Blue Flame or is it... No, CleanFin
0: is actually morphed into my holding company. I did my strategic consulting through it and I've also been doing a lot of angel investing in the clean tech space. Oh, interesting. So I'm actually an angel investor in uh, PV Complete, Utility API. Essentially, I scout out technologies that allow, and if I find startups, I put money where my mouth is. Sure. So I'm also an investor in a fantastic startup in uh, New York City called API Fortress. Uh-huh. And the vision there is, you know, as I build technology into Blue Flame and our hyper-call stack, Some of these ecosystem partners have become very valuable partners in types of integrating with their product offerings. So API Fortress, for example, does a very interesting set of tools around APIs. For example, in our Hyperqual platform, we have over 100 API integrations with different vendors and stuff. People don't see it, but the complexity is sort of layered in and hidden behind the scenes. But when you want to orchestrate that in Amazon Cloud and want to look at the robustness of operation of these kind of APIs, you need very sophisticated tools to deploy real time to look at these things. So when I find use cases where I see evolving stuff, I also do some investing on the side through sure. Cleanfin. But all my investing is done through Cleanfin. So Cleanfin is actually a part owner of Blue Flame and, and the majority owner. Interesting. Uh, so it's sort of configured today as my small investment bank.
1: That's really interesting. And then it's interesting how you've integrated within the Hyperqual platform, PV Complete, the API. Sorry, I apologize of the company. Like, what do you look at when you, it's interesting to me because I do invest, as you know, Kumar, in different businesses outside of renewables, but I do have renewable energy investments in companies. You talked about technology. What sort of things do you look at when you invest in sort of these early stage startup companies? And what sort of are you Series A or Pre-Series A? or what, what's, oh, I, yeah.
0: I, My check sizes are small, so yeah. I tend to be an angel investor sure. in sort of the seed rounds. Or yep. the angel rounds. Okay, but I usually look at companies that are related to sustainability mm-hmm. or cloud technology that I can apply in my day-to-day life. Definitely. So it's it's much more sort of how as an entrepreneur I uh, live and breathe this business. Sure. If these companies add value to my product. Then I go and invest in it. Oh, that's so pretty so smart, I take yeah. a more sort of <laughs> utilitarian view on investing, yes. I should say. So it is not making any sector bets. But generally, I try to stay within my knitting, mm-hmm. which is use of technology, sustainability, clean energy, and then finance. So sure. most of my work in sort of investment related stuff is in that sphere.
1: Definitely. That's really interesting to hear and get your perspective. I know we were both at uh, Omni La Costa earlier this week at Solar Power Investment Summit, which I think is actually, a, I like it as the second best conference after SPI. It's a smaller venue. It's like everyone seems to be C-level and executive types are there. It's a great way to meet if you go into the lobby or yes, that outdoor. Yes, totally agree. <laughs> totally agree. It's amazing. Each year, last year was the first year, at Omni, It was at Rancho Bernardo, and I know you're a member of Omni La Costa as well. Can you talk about maybe some of the conversations that you had and what sort of things that you're seeing in this distributed energy or solar industry based on conversations? I know we talked a little bit yeah, about... Yeah, so uh, our
0: conversations were pretty broad. We spoke with distributed developers who have been in the space. We also spoke to a number of finance partners in the back end uh, mm-hmm. you know, who are strategics, that we work with. We also spoke to a few friends who are doing interesting things related to commercial, but more on the insurance side and other sort of emerging things in the thing like including storage. So a couple of friends are pretty clear. People are definitely more focused on small CNI. The general feeling was that that was sort of the last frontier that's untapped yet. I know we have heard this story a long time, but people were quite optimistic. And then a lot of the discussions were around actually more concrete ideas and how some of these portfolios are being assembled. So one interesting thing, theme that came out was, how do you work on CNI on a portfolio basis? Uh, So the idea is you work with regional operators, smaller companies that have regional footprints, So this is, again, the non-investment grade world, but not in a completely sort of isolated single-use type properties. So that theme came about. There was also a lot of discussion around what types of financings are available, you know, whether it's going to be a PPA-driven market or there's more room for sort of debt-driven sort of products to finance these projects. There was also some discussion around, obviously, now the strong emergence of storage as an asset class in California and then how it's going to blend in with solar pv and then sort of the regulatory paradigm around it there was also some concerns about storage as to how owners of those assets could monetize the savings so the key takeaway there was the revenue models are still in its infancy Definitely. Uh, so which is interesting Obviously, uh, the solar PV side is much more well-travelled and well-understood. Sure. The risks are much more well-understood.
1: Definitely. And are you guys looking at energy storage in California? You know, there's the S-CHIP program. Are you looking into potentially financing those types of projects? I know it's still kind of early.
0: Yes, we being sort of more focused on a pure debt-driven shop. Uh, sure. We have not looked into monetizing sort of the savings, shared savings model and storage. Mm-hmm. But as it emerges as a more, uh, as the technology risk in in battery storage starts to decrease, we are thinking of this as a more sort of widget business where we Definitely. can just finance the battery asset. But today we look at storage more in blend with solar PV. So PV plus storage is starting Ooh, to be more sure. common in California. So we would look at financing those assets today with more sort of debt-driven Definitely. The easiest financing tool that we can take to the commercial side to do storage today is actually commercial pace.
1: Sure. That makes sense. And then what about looking at behind the meter sort of PPAs with including storage in it? I don't know if that's something that you've looked at.
0: Uh, We haven't yet. So we haven't found enough compelling sort of projects come our way for financing to look at sort of including storage and then crafting a PPA Craft, yeah, around sure. it. It's been much more sort of straight debt-driven. Mm-hmm. How do you finance a storage asset? And Because the only behind-the-meter strategy that we have seen that works in California today is peak shavings or rate yes. shifting. Maybe on a larger scale, there's other ways to monetize storage, including the bidding in the capacity, etc., but... We're not that well plugged into that space yet. So we're much Definitely. more sort of asset focused.
1: That makes sense. And then can you talk about the distributed energy assets that you guys are looking to finance? So obviously you mentioned solar. You talked about CHP. Uh, are you looking as well into like energy efficiency upgrades, LED lighting? or?
0: Yeah, I know. Exactly. So we actually are looking at, as we talked about, this greenhouse type financing. Sure. We are looking actually at ancillary things around CHP systems, you know, heat recovery systems. We have done some transactions around LED lighting finance. So we do look at other asset classes. But what we have found is obviously solar PV is the most liquid asset. That tends to be the core focus. We are also looking at some biomass projects in the pipeline. Smaller waste to energy smaller CHP cogen with renewable gas, etc. Our book of business is a little bit broader than your normal solar finance company. And then the view there is that there is a need for financing in these small DR assets. And there are not a lot of specialty finance firms focusing on it, since we bring a sort of a unique debt-driven lens to it. And our focus is very simple. We want to bring in the cheapest cost of financing to these projects for our customers.
1: Yes, definitely. And that's what it's all about right now, especially when you talk about solar PV. It's really the lower cost of capital seems to obviously that's not the only thing, but it's a pretty important thing as far as Yeah
0: it, it drives a lot of economics and from a business perspective, obviously if we could build a wider funnel, that's a win-win for both customers and <laughs> <Yes>. blue plane. <laughs>
1: And who are your customers, really, who, it's really developers and installers. They basically go onto the Hyperqual site.
0: We actually started out initially trying to do direct solicitation of business customers. The adoption cycle there tends to be much harder because there are not well-defined projects. So as a pure finance company, we found that that was suboptimal in terms of sort of the marketing approach. So we came soon to the realization that our installer partners are the best partners because they understand each jurisdiction very well. As you know, solar and finance especially is super fragmented in the U.S. Definitely. So these guys understand utility rules and procurement Mm -hmm. locally. They have the connections locally to enable these projects to success. The critical ingredient that they're lacking, which even our other fellow financiers and business have realized sure. is, is really having that seamless financing experience. Definitely. So we think that we can add a lot more value by supporting our uh, installed partners in the channel mm-hmm. and then bringing them innovative financing to close deals. Closed
1: deals, definitely. And when one of your partners completes the hyperqual, how quickly can they get pricing for their project?
0: Typically it takes us about 48 hours to issue a sure. term sheet from the initial data that they provide us. And then because we are very credit-driven we are much more of a secured lender mm-hmm. so our underwriting process in the back end is a little bit longer because you know Definitely. then we delve into the off takers financials sure. etc but the initial deal qualification is about a 48-hour timeline.
1: That's amazing because I think the huge thing as well is like how quickly you could turn pricing over to these developers and installers. Yeah. And they want to get in front of the clients quickly. Uh, so that's great. The, the
0: indicative pricing is instantaneous. So it's, oh, it, that's it's 30 seconds Yeah. on a website. So if they put in basic parameters, they can get an indicative sure. quote. But if they want a term sheet from us, we have automated the term sheet generation process. Oh, interesting! they just click and request a term sheet. And then on the back end, we do the fulfillment. Our analyst gets the request for the term sheet. So we then review the project information they supplied, do some preliminary diligence, which is already sort of done automatically. We look at, for example, parcel data, things like that uh, in real time before we sort of issue our term sheets.
1: Oh, that's amazing. And it's basically hyperqual.com, right? If people Yeah, so want they to. can
0: just go to blueflameenergyfinance.com sure. and there's a login button or register button. And that actually takes them to our Hyperqual, Hyperqual. Platform. And
1: then you also do a demo as well, right? Yes,
0: yeah. so there's an online sign up there. Yes. Uh, and one of our analysts will actually be online to help them through a live demo onboarding our customers. So we try to make the entire process sort of educational and sort of seamless and try to build long-term relationship with our installed partners.
1: Definitely, and I've used the Hyperqual and it's pretty amazing. It's very simple to kind of follow through and very easy to use. And it has, as Kumar said, a lot of great information that you guys come up to come up with the pricing. So it's really impressive. If you haven't used the platform, you definitely should contact them for a demo. And it's interesting actually after Abhinash's episode three, podcast a couple of people have reached out to or went to the bloom flame website to set up a demo because I've looked at a lot of different platforms within the energy and renewable energy space and it's really well done so I definitely really recommend everyone to reach out to these guys and be a channel partner for them Thanks, Ben. Oh, anytime. So we're switching gears and actually we're coming to the end of the interview. Blue Flame is a company that you started. Was it 2016 or 2014? 2014.
0: So I was doing BD about the whole idea from late 14 to mid 15. Sure. So 15 was when we formally launched and started operations.
1: What suggestions do you have for someone who wants to be an entrepreneur? You know, you've had a lot of experience in a lot of different industries. You've obviously worked corporate. Then you obviously had uh, started Clean Fin, which was your first sort of entrepreneurial and then Blue Flame. And obviously you talked about structuring that. What suggestion do you have for anyone? Because the Solar Maverick podcast is about solar and entrepreneurship. Obviously, you're the CEO and founder of Blue Flame, and can you talk about what suggestions do you have for someone who wants to be an entrepreneur from what you've learned?
0: Yeah, so one of the things that I found out was be passionate about what you do. Sure. Uh, you got to strongly <laughs> believe in what you do. I, I think that's the number one thing. I think that's taken for granted by many of us. Yeah. Uh, and especially
1: thing- what you do, what Blue Flame's trying to do is something that everyone's kind of known there's a need in the market. And you guys are really trying to come up with creative solutions. And obviously, I'm sure there's been a lot of hurdles along the way. But, you know, oh, yeah, you're no. passionate. Yeah, I know. Even yeah, uh, you listen we're, to Abhinash's interview, too. He's yeah, very no, passionate we're, about we're, this.
0: You're absolutely right. So it's been an interesting ride. And we have had our ups and downs with Blue Flame. I sleep well at night, but I'm open and awake. Challenges we have faced is as growing Blue Flame as, you know, ideally I would have loved to be a much bigger company, but the challenges has been that trying to do a hard financing stack, especially that's institutional quality in the back end takes a lot of time to assemble that stack. We're finally there, but it took us almost two years longer than I wanted. The flip side of that was cash burn has been more longer than we wanted to do. Being a self-funded bootstrap company, that does put strains on us periodically. So part of the challenges has also been that a model like Blue Flame is not a great fit for a VC type investment. So trying to find that strategic pool of capital, especially in the equity side for the platform. Sure. I think it's a smaller pool of investors. So I would say fellow entrepreneurs in the clean tech spaces, just identify that segment that you're looking to finance. Make sure that there's adequate funding for you, for your business plan to go one, two, three years, take your business to the next step and sort of grow it.
1: Definitely. Yeah, those are all great suggestions, and this has been an amazing interview, Kumar. Thank you for your time. What's the best way for people to uh, reach out to you, or if they're interested in learning more about Blue Flame?
0: We have our info email, so info at bfef.biz. So Boy Frank Eagle Frank B I Z. That actually sends emails to me, Abhinash, and the rest of our team. So anybody reaching out, one of us will reach back to our customers or friends and uh, happy to chat there and then schedule a call and pick it up. Or, you know, I'm on LinkedIn. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Always happy to LinkedIn chat. So... We're always open for business, twenty four seven.
1: That sounds great, and we'll have as well in the notes of the podcast the info email, and then Kumar's LinkedIn as well, and then obviously Blue Flame's website. So yeah, definitely, it's been an amazing interview, Kumar. Thank you. You you provided a lot of oh, interesting it's a pleasure coming on your <laughs>
0: podcast, and uh, <laughs> uh, I'm a regular listener. So I think you're doing a fantastic job of spreading the word in on renewables and entrepreneurship with your podcast.
1: And thank you for being a guest, and obviously you and Abhinash as well. And and I think it's also about getting great guests on the podcast. So I appreciate you making time out of your busy schedule to meet with us today. Thank you. Thanks, I Have a great day. You too. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. If this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes and Stitcher Radio and leave us a five-star review. That helps us build this community. And that's what we're all about right now building this community as big as we can to deliver as much value as we can.